Good morning. Thank you for joining us this morning. Um, I just so you know, I offered to um, to sing with Alice, and she said, "Why don't you just focus on the sermon, okay?" Um, and I said, "Rich, I'll even play saxophone with you." And he just said, "No, no." So, anyhow, thank you for joining us this morning. If it's your first time, my name is Nathan, and we are actually in the middle of a series we've been going through called "Doing Today a Different Way." Doing today. A different way. And the reason we're talking about this is because you and I have something that's just part of our human condition that when we wake up in the morning, we just go on autopilot. And when you walk through the day on autopilot, you tend to have moments like what we just saw on the video. And that's not necessarily um, something to feel guilty over as much as it's just a natural thing. Because When I have those responses and those reactions to life, I am protecting and I am defending and I am pursuing the kingdom of who? Me. We're all all pursuing the kingdom of ourselves. And so over the last few weeks, we've actually spent some time, before we even talk about the kingdom of God, having to talk about the kingdom of me. Because as we, as we discussed the first week, the way we are tempted and the way we're opposed is that the enemy, he doesn't hold out an apple like he did in the garden to Adam and Eve to us. He holds out our kingdoms to us. And he says, go for that and spend your time and spend your energy and spend your money and everything else. Spend your life trying to build your kingdom. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, We talked about this interaction that Jesus and Satan had in the desert. And Jesus was able to cut through the fog of what the enemy was throwing at him. And we learned that that the deserts of life really present to us the mirages of our kingdoms. It's a mirage to think that I'm going to build a kingdom any greater than the one God has for me. And so why not spend my days doing that? And Jesus, one day, he's talking to his disciples And he says, it's actually, it's just a better way. It's a better way to spend your day. In fact, he words it a little bit differently. At the end of Matthew chapter 9, which is where we're going to camp out this morning, Matthew chapter 9 and 10, he says it this way. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. This is on the heels of him personally proclaiming the kingdom of God throughout the region that he went to. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, that harvest language is probably hard for us in Littleton to understand, but every single year, I get a glimpse of what I think Jesus is getting at here. Actually, two times a year. One is the day after Halloween, and one is the day after Easter, because I I don't know, I can't even believe I'm telling you this, because it's to my own detriment to share this with you. King Supers the day after Halloween and the day after Easter's. Easter, it is amazing, okay? You go, to, you go to the candy aisle, and there are yellow tags all the way down the aisle, and it says 50% off, okay? And there is always this one candy. You guys, if you've been here, you know, I've, I've got this ranking of, of sugary foods, okay? There's, there's regular Oreos, which are actually diet Oreos, okay? And then above those are, are double-stuffed Oreos, and those are the greatest Oreos, okay? But there's another candy that is right there with double-stuffed Oreos. It's Kit Kats, okay? Kit Kats are incredible. The day after Halloween, you can get Kit Kats for 50% off what they normally offer, okay? King Supers, just so you know, it's sad that I know this. You can buy two and get one free any day of the year, okay? So that's a Kit Kat for 67 cents, if you're doing the math. The day after ha- Halloween, you get Kit Kats for... 
it's 50% off regular price, but that's 50 cents a Kit Kat. So the first day that I ever discovered this, I mean, I just went down that aisle and my jaw fell open. And I just went, and I looked to my left and right, expecting to just see the crowds running in for Kit Kats. And there was, can you believe this? Nobody. There's nobody. So this, this King Supers worker came down the aisle and he saw me like, literally like, and he said, can I help you? I said, I just can't believe this deal. This is incredible. And he said, guess what? If you wait one more day, we need to get rid of this. We got to get rid of the Halloween Kit Kats. They'll be 80% off. 80% off. That's a Kit Kat for 20 cents, ladies and gentlemen. I said, well, you, here's how you can help me. Will you go to the other side of this aisle with me? And can we just, can we push the whole shelf over so that all these fall into my cart? Because I just thought the harvest is so plentiful. The harvest is so plentiful. Jesus, I get what you were saying, and the workers are few. The workers are few, and it's, it's your loss. So if you decide to do that this year, this year um, Halloween is on a Thursday, that Friday, I have dibs on that King Supers. Do not go near the King Supers near Chatfield High School. You can go to any other one, okay? Well, Jesus says, yeah, it's, it's a more abundant way to live, to spend our days pursuing not our kingdoms, but the kingdom of God. But he also says it's just a better way. And so he's telling his disciples this, and at the beginning of chapter 10, he sends his disciples out. And he says, I'm going to send you out to do the work of the kingdom of God and proclaim that it is near. Now, at that time, he sent them to what he called the lost sheep of Israel. Now, our commission that he gave us is much greater. He says, go to the world. But he gives them basically a sermon to prepare them. And as you look at this sermon that he gives to them, it's really, really interesting. He says this word, and he makes this reference about 10 or 11 times to a they. He says, they, when you are there, you're going to feel, and you're going to see they. They're going to come for you. And they are going to arrest you. And they are going to haul you before the authorities. And they are going to attack you. And they are going to hate you. And to the disciples, this nameless, this faceless, they probably sounded really, really frightening. But Jesus knew something about the human condition. He knew something about what they were walking into. And he knows something about what we walk into. Every single day, we walk through the world of they. Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis, shortly after her husband was assassinated, she threw herself over her husband's body, and you know what she said? They have taken my husband. Who are they? I mean, just as you think about your life right now, if we, if we were to just come to us for a moment, who are they? Because every single day, we walk in a world of they. And I think Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis picked up on something that we all have picked up on. There is a they that oftentimes is nameless and faceless that poses a real threat to us, that we perceive as could harm us, could do something to us. And Jesus says, that's what I'm sending you into. And so as we look through this message that he really gave the disciples, even though it was for them in that day, in that time, I believe there are some dynamics of this world of they that we've got to be aware of. Because in the coming weeks, we'll look at these statements that Jesus made throughout Matthew. He said, the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like. 
And when we can look around for that kingdom and see it, we have, we'll realize we have an incredible opportunity to advance a kingdom much greater than our own. But as we step into each day, I think Jesus would say, but there's some things to be aware of. There are some things you need to know. So let's take a look at what he says to the disciples. The first point I think he makes is that the kingdom of they will cause us to feel we need more things. The kingdom of they causes us to feel like we need more things. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 9. He says, Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff. For the, work, the, for the worker is worth his keep. Have you heard this phrase, and it's been attributed to so many people. I mean, I've heard it's been attributed to uh, Dave Ramsey, and then I've heard it was attributed to Alan Greenspan, and then everything, when you can't quote it, it seems like everybody just gives it to Mark Twain. So I've heard this was also attributed to Mark Twain. But it was simply this, that we buy stuff we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't know. We want to impress a they. There's a they, and Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, you don't need all that stuff. You really don't need all that stuff. What are you relying on? There is a, an actual agency that keeps track of the storage industry, public storage, and you've seen them all over the place. In, in the last 10 years, 10 years ago, in the United States of America, we had, this was people who already had homes, it was estimated that 90% of our nation at that time was using 1.1 billion square feet of storage in this country. In the last 10 years, do you know how many square feet of storage there are now? 2.3 billion, and they estimate that we're using 96% of it. But homes have gotten bigger. Same size families, but homes have gotten bigger. And I think it just raises a question when you look at what Jesus said to his disciples. What is it that I think I need to be used by him? What is it that I think I need? Is the kingdom of they making me feel like I don't have what I need to be used by God? It's a very real thing. In fact, right now, every single one of us in our brains could probably think of that thing that, well, it's not vital to have, but it sure would be nice to have. Or we can think of a set of conditions that outside of us, if, we, if it was just like that, then God could get glory from my life. And Jesus says, no, there is nothing you need outside of what I've already given you. He continues through the message. He says, look, the kingdom of they doesn't only make you feel like you need more stuff. The kingdom of they has, has a very real potential to affect the peace inside you. It'll make you feel like you need stuff outside you, and it can affect the peace inside you. Verse 11 says this, Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, and, and other translations say receptive, if the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. Now, if I could just pause here. I think for some of us in here, this is the issue. It's not stuff outside of us that I need more of. It's that when I go to a place that maybe God sends me, or when I go through my day, or I go to the workplace, don't we go in very guarded? Because there's baggage from the past, isn't there? There's stuff that keeps us, we, we just stay at arm's length from people. He says, no, when you go somewhere, 
Let your peace be present there. Let it rest on that place. And then he finishes the sentence. If it is not, if it's not deserving, if it's not receptive, let your peace return to you. And this was very convicting for me because immediately I went, oh my goodness, my peace is still caught in a past situation. I can think of things years ago that I didn't realize under the surface all this time. They've been affecting my inner peace. And Jesus says, where's your peace caught up? Make sure it returns to you. It's not up to you. Some will accept it. Some are going to completely reject it. Don't get caught up. Move on from that town. There's an old story from uh, the time of the Desert Fathers. The Desert Fathers were a fourth century, basically, movement or group that wanted to renew the church. And there's a story of a young man who went to a spiritual mentor, one of these Desert Fathers, and he said, my brother has offended me, and I want to avenge myself. I want to avenge myself. And the Desert Father looked at him, and he said, let it go. Let it go, because it is not for you to avenge, and you will be stuck there. You'll be stuck in that prison. He said, no, I need to get him back. And so the desert father said, well then, let me pray for you. But let me pray the prayer that your life is expressing when you have this stance. And the desert father said, heavenly father, I am sorry to say, but we no longer will be needing you. We don't need you because we can now avenge ourselves. And as I read that story, I thought, wow, what? kind of prayer is my life praying? Because if my peace is caught up in the past, then it's real hard to look forward and have my eyes open to the places that Jesus wants to use me and that Jesus wants to send me. For some in here, the kingdom of they has made you feel like you need more stuff. For some in here, the kingdom of they has affected our inner peace. For some in here, it's another thing that Jesus hits on as he walks through this. The kingdom of they demands our performance. Listen to verse 16. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Do we think of ourselves? Do we think of every single day of opportunities to be witnesses? I got to be honest, as I, as I considered that question personally, I realized I don't always look for those opportunities because many days it's easy to feel unqualified, that somehow I need more. And if you look through Scripture, there is this reminder over and over and over again that God and His Holy Spirit and His Son, they're not looking for ability. They're looking for availability. See, the kingdom of us, the kingdom of me, says it's all about my ability. But the kingdom of God says, now it's about your availability. And so here is what Jesus says on the heels of that. Verse 19, but when they, there it is, when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking 
through you. And there's this reminder again. We talked about this a few weeks ago. That when you're available, then what works through you is the Spirit of God giving the Word of God. And you don't have to worry about your ability. There's an author, he's one of my favorite authors, a man named Bob Goff. And Bob Goff wrote a book called Love Does. He's, he's written a few books. But in Love Does, it's just, I just think we all need to hear this. Um, he talks about, have you been to Disneyland? How many of you have been to Disneyland? All right. Tom Sawyer Island, does that strike a chord? Some people know it. Some are like, what? That's it, Disneyland? And it's because it's not one of the primary attractions. But listen to what he says about Tom Sawyer Island. Bob Goff is a lawyer. He says, I do all of my best thinking on Tom Sawyer Island at Disneyland. There's a picnic table at the end of a little pier right across from the pirate ship. I suppose most people think this place is just a prop because there are a couple of wooden kegs marked to get gunpowder and some pirate paraphernalia hung over the railings. But it's not just a prop to me, it's my office. Here's a strange truth I've noticed. Almost everyone knows about Tom Sawyer Island at Disneyland, but most people don't go. Maybe it's because it's surrounded by water and you have to take a raft to get there. But it's really not that tough to do. Lots of people want to go. Some people even plan to go. But most forget or just don't get around to it. There are no admission requirements at Tom Sawyer Island. It doesn't matter how tall or short you are, old or young, religious or not. There are no lines at Tom Sawyer Island. It can be whatever you want it to be. You can do countless things there. Most of them involve running and jumping and using your creativity and imagination. It's a place where you can go and just do stuff. In that way, it's a place that mirrors life well, at least the opportunity to do much with our lives. From my office on Tom Sawyer Island, I have a fantastic perch to look around and see how a sea of people live. It's not a ride. It's not about distraction or thrills. It's not the kind of place you go to be entertained either. It has all the potential you bring to it, nothing more, nothing less. To find out just how much that is, all you have to do is show up and be available. You don't need a plan, you just need to be present. Somewhere in each of us, I believe that there's a desire for a place like Tom Sawyer Island, a place where the stuff of imagination, whimsy, and wonder are easier to live out, not just think about or put off until next time. This is a weighty thing to think about on my island, but I often consider what I'm tempted to call the greatest lie of all time. And that lie can be bound up in two words, someone else, they. On Tom Sawyer Island, I reflect on God, who didn't choose someone else to express his creative presence to the world, who didn't tap the rock star or the popular kid to get things done. He chose you and me. We are the means, the method, the object, and the delivery vehicles. God can use anyone for sure. If you can shred on a fender or one best personality, you're not disqualified. It just doesn't make you more qualified. You see, God usually chooses ordinary people like us to get things done. I just read that over and over and over because the kingdom of they, on top of making us feel like we need more stuff and on top of affecting our inner peace, it also demands our performance and our ability. And the whole time, you know what Jesus says? I just need your availability. I just need your availability because my spirit, the spirit of God, can give you the word of God. 
So it brings up another question. Who do I and who do we depend on to open doors for us, to share the word of God, to go to people? Are we available? And then finally, he gets to one more piece that I think the kingdom, it's this dynamic of the kingdom of they that we have to be aware of, is that we can look for approval from the kingdom of they. Jesus says it this way. Verse 21, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Isn't it true that when we live in the kingdom of they, the approval of they and them becomes everything? It does. We live for that approval. And notice the proximity of the relationships he referenced. Those are close family relationships. And he says, look, the person you may have approval from today could hate you tomorrow. There was a study that came out on NFL referees. And I hope I'm not making too many people upset right now. But NFL referees, you know, watching games, what do we point at all the time? The refs. The refs. And they were interviewing this group of referees, and, and they had like this focus group of referees. And they were looking at plays on different sidelines where it happened so fast that referees had to make judgment calls. You know what they discovered? These are guys who are paid to be objectively neutral in their job. Over 70% of the time, the call went for the team that was standing on the sideline that the play happened most closely to. Some of you are like, amen, that explains the playoffs this year and everything else. 70% of the time. Even when we're trying to be neutral, we want, we want approval. It raises another question. Whose approval am I looking for? Whose approval? What things do I need? Where has my peace been caught up? What ability do I think I need to have? And whose approval am I looking for? That's what the kingdom of they surrounds us with. And when you walk through every day on autopilot, you and I will chase after wherever the kingdom of they and the kingdom of me pulls us. Every single day. And in response to all of it, Jesus now moves to a different part of this message because he has something to say to his disciples and to us. Here's what he says. The student, verse 24, is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. And then these three words, it is enough. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. When you wake up in the morning, when I wake up in the morning, is it enough? If you knew that all you had going for you today is that you are like Jesus, would that be enough? Really, would it, would it be enough? It's a question worth asking and looking in the mirror for. Because he says you should expect it. You should expect the kingdom of day to come. Verse 25, if the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, which is what they call Jesus, 
how much more the members of his household. See, every single day, we wake up with a decision that we've got to make. And it's either to be liked by them and they, or to be like him. When I get up in the morning, and when you get up in the morning, you know what our, our, the question facing us is? Do you want to be liked by them, or do you want to be like him? It's that simple. And one of those is really, really, really exhausting. It is exhausting. And so Jesus says, let me show you a different way to do today. Because if you could just shift your focus, and if I could shift my focus from being liked by them to being like him, then something different would take over. The Spirit of God, using the Word of God, well, it would bring through us what the Son of God says next. Verse 26, So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Well, that's a bold stance. And that's a different way to do today, isn't it? That's a very different way to do today. And I would say it's a way that we only get to when we see what comes next. He asks a question, and it's a familiar question because we saw this in Matthew chapter 6 a couple weeks ago. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? I mean, it's cheap. It's about as cheap as a Kit Kat the day after Halloween. Anyway, <laughs> yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And that's a big deal for some of us in here, isn't it? Yes. Um, I won't call any names. I'll start with me, okay? So, don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You are enough when the Spirit of God is using the Word of God. And everything in us says, yeah, but I don't have the things, and that person affected my, my peace, and I don't have the ability, and I don't have the approval of, and... You know what your Heavenly Father says? Who told you you need that? They. They told you. But what do I say? I think the reason we struggle, I think the reason there are so few workers for this harvest field that Jesus referenced, we have trouble with the work of God because we haven't sat long enough with our worth to God. We struggle with the work of God because we haven't sat long enough with our worth to God. Right here. This is, I don't know if you can see this, $20 bill. It's not Price is Right. Okay, don't come running down the aisle right now. But let me ask you something. If I do this to this $20 bill, what's it worth now? Okay. If I, um, if I do this, what's it worth? Okay. If I do this, what's it worth? See, we get this with a $20 bill. But when the kingdom of they throws us on the ground and presses on us and stomps on us and tears at us and spits at us and everything that Jesus just described to the disciples, why do we take that as a statement about our worth? Why do we do it? 
because we haven't sat long enough with our worth to God. And so, how do we find our worth to God? Well, I think the key comes back to one word that we looked at at the very beginning of this entire passage for this morning. And it's a simple word. Let me read it to you again. Verse 9, or chapter 9, verse 37. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask. Ask. We're kind of bad at asking, aren't we? Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And I wonder if when Jesus said that, if the disciples thought they were praying for somebody else. He says to them, ask the Lord of the harvest to send his workers out. And the disciples may very well have looked at one another and said, well, who are we praying for right now? It must be they. It must be somebody else. And that's at the end of chapter 9. And then five verses later in chapter 10, who are the workers that are being sent out? The disciples. The disciples. And what happened between the end of chapter 9 and five verses into chapter 10? It was four verses. Matthew 10, verse 1, says, Jesus called his disciples to him. And the few verses that follow are a list of names. Because we serve a God who calls his children and he calls his workers by name. And he invites us to call him by name. You know how we discover our worth to God? We ask. We say, God, I'll pray for your kingdom to come. But he says, pray to be part of the bringing of that kingdom. And you know what he'll do? He'll push out the kingdom of they. And so in the coming weeks, we'll begin to speak on and talk about and look at the kingdom of God. Because when you see it in front of you, you do today a different way. And in fact, I think I'll close with this. You become like what Jesus referenced in this passage. You become like a sparrow. You become like a sparrow. In fact, you become like a sparrow that got into our, our house a couple years ago. My wife, she likes to put this decorative wreath on our front door. And it's not like Christmas wreath. It's, it's like a spring wreath. And <clears throat> this, uh, I, I heard singing on the other side of the door one day. And I went, well, that bird just seems so close. Went and opened the front door, and this bird had been nesting in that wreath out front. Freaked out, smacked me in the chest, wing smacked me in the chin, true story, flew into our house. And it was disoriented, and there were feathers kind of flying all over the place, falling off this thing. And it was incredibly disoriented, trying to figure out the new surroundings. You ever feel like a sparrow? A little bit disoriented in your surroundings each day? Well, the sparrow landed on our bookshelf, and it continued to chirp, and it continued its song. And at this point, I'm just mad, because we had to go. And I began yelling at a bird in our house. And I said, your home is out there! You ever feel like a sparrow? Not just disoriented, but yelled at, screamed at, well, as I began screaming at this uh, sparrow that's sitting on the bookshelf, it just, it does that thing. We got into a stare down. And if you've ever stared at an animal of any kind, but especially birds, there comes a point if you can go eye to eye long enough, they go. 
So this thing went like this, kept chirping, kept singing. I went and grabbed my BB um, dispenser. It's called a dispenser. It's a BB dispenser. It's very gentle, okay? And <clears throat> I grabbed my BB dispenser and a pillow, and I just thought for a second, I went, okay, can't, probably shouldn't. If I miss in the house, that's, that's bad. So I grabbed a pillow, and... Um, I'm yelling at this thing, and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm good with both of these, both the pillow and the BB dispenser, okay? Do you ever feel like a sparrow? Not just disoriented, not just yelled at, but threatened. Well, I started waving this. I found a broom. I'm waving these at the bird. He flies outside. Instead of flying off, and it could be over, the whole thing could be over, lands on our gutter. And I was like, I should let this go right now. But he came into my house, and now I have a, a mess to clean up. And so I threw the pillow. I threw the pillow at the bird because I was mad. I hit the bird. Okay, the bird fell to the ground, and it looked like its wing was kind of affected. Anyway, it <laughs> looked like it was affected. You ever feel like a sparrow? Disoriented, yelled at, attacked? threatened. And so, don't judge me, okay? Don't judge me. We had a river rock right by here, and I thought, oh no, it's injured. I can't spend my time going to the vet trying to make sure a sparrow is okay. So I picked up a river rock. Thought about ending it for the bird. And then something happened. This bird, who couldn't fly, couldn't do anything about the situation, couldn't do anything. You know, you know where something happened? In Nathan. I don't know if it was conscience. No, I know what it was. It was our Heavenly Father who cares about the sparrow. And I went, I can't do this. Now, I don't have this problem with bunnies that chew our grass. Like, it's easy. <laughs> I can think of Old Testament passages on hunting to fully justify <laughs> taking, going all the way through with this. But with this sparrow, I went... I can't do it. And in that moment, I learned, and the sparrow maybe realized, maybe doesn't know, that our Heavenly Father can take care of the they's who oppose us. And He can address what's going on inside of the kingdom of they that we walk into every single day. And while I'm having this softening of the heart, you know what this bird did? It got up like it was faking and flew off went on a tree branch, starts chirping and singing, looking right at me, just like that. Do you ever feel like a sparrow? Even though you're disoriented, yelled at, threatened, attacked. You know what a sparrow can do? It can keep singing in the midst of all of it. Jesus says, you want to do the work of God, sit and be reminded of your worth to God, found nowhere else but at the cross where Jesus died to show us our value to our Heavenly Father. And so as we head into the coming weeks, ask. Say, God, I want your kingdom to come, but I want to be part of it. I'll invite the ensemble back up for a closing song. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the reminder of something that we forget so easily, we can get up every single day and go through it on autopilot. Thank you for the reminder that you see us. And to us, to you, we're worth more than many sparrows. 
write that on our hearts every single day so that the kingdom of they would not be part of the equation, that we'd wake up every single day and it's not even a contest between being liked by them or being like him, our savior. Write that on our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.